0: A plan for a day that got interrupted. Uh. Have you ever had like plans for your life yep. when your life got interrupted? Yes. I want to talk to you for a few moments today about when life gets interrupted, okay. because there's a lot of things in life that can, can interrupt your life. There's a, a, a professor down the street here at Southern Seminary. His name is Dr. Abraham Kuravila. And the interesting thing about Dr. Kuravila is he's he's ethnically from India. He was born and raised in Kuwait, but he did doctorates in Scotland and in Texas and in India. I mean, he has three doctorates, which I think is showing off. You don't need three (laughs) Um, doctorates. You know, anyway, he's a medical doctor as well as a PhD in theology, okay? And so as an MD, uh, one of the things that he was saying recently was, you know, doctors and hospitals have to use codes Uh, when they submit billing to insurance companies so that they can get paid, right? So when they, it's not just taking care of the patient, but now you have to put a code to it and submit it so that you get paid. And um, he said that until recently, there are about 18,000 codes that doctors had to know. So in addition to knowing how to treat the patient, you got to know these 18,000 codes or so. But recently, administrators decided that wasn't enough. So the recent ICD-10, which is the International Classification of Diseases Version 10 came out, and it expanded those 18,000 codes to 140,000 codes that doctors have to use. Now, there's codes for everything. There's codes for if you have an injury in an opera house. There's a code for that. There's There's a code for if you get injured in a chicken coop that's a different code. Uh, There is uh, separate codes or different codes for being bitten by a turtle versus being struck by a turtle. Those are two different codes. I don't know if there's a lot of violent turtles in the world right now or what, but we have different codes for them. Um, If you walk into a lamppost, the code is W22.02XA. But if you do it again, The code is W22.02XD, running into a pole, subsequent encounter. There is a code, not making this up, okay, V9107XA, which is being burned while water skiing due to skis on fire. I I don't know if this is a problem out there at all. But Dr. Kurvila says that his favorite by far, his favorite code is R-46.01, which is bizarre personal appearance. When he said that, I looked at Marlene and said, see, honey, there is a code for me, actually. I, after all, And actually, he said, he said, look, one day I am going to bill an insurance company for R-46-01, bizarre personal appearance. And, and you know, you, you think about that. There are a lot of ways In fact, according to ICD-10, there's 140,000 ways that your life can be interrupted. A lot of things can happen. Lots of things in life can interrupt your plan. In fact, I was preparing this message a week ago Thursday to preach it last Sunday when our life got interrupted. And that afternoon, we got a call that Marlene's mom had been rushed to the hospital and the doctor said there was nothing else they could do. And so her dad was like, maybe you should wait a while and come up, and we just felt like, no, we need to go right away, so we jumped in the car and drove 30 hours. We got to the border and our lives got interrupted again because the Canadian government considered me a threat to the nation of Canada, and they wouldn't let me in. And I said, I've been rejected by better people than you, okay, so, all right. Only three countries have refused to let me in. Afghanistan, India, and now Canada. Isn't that interesting? And I'm married to a Canadian. But anyway, our lives were interrupted again, and she had to go on the rest of the way by herself. She left me at the border, and got a, we got a hotel room. And she went in, and she got to see her mom for a couple of days, and it was good. And It seemed like her mom had, uh, you know, basically, was her blood pressure had come up to normal. It seemed like everything was going to be okay. So we drove the 30 hours back. And then our lives got interrupted again yesterday when we got the phone call that her mom had gone on to be with Jesus. Her mom, who was the most lovely, delightful um, prayer warrior. You know, there's good things in my life and in my son's lives and now in in my daughter-in-law's and in my grandson. In in our marriage, there's a lot of good things that happen because that woman prayed. And you know, it's the same thing for New Life Church. She's prayed for you guys. And, and according to Scripture, if I read the book of Revelation right, those prayers are still burning at the altar that she prayed. So her legacy and her impact goes on. But what do you do? What do you do when your life gets interrupted? And I know there's different things you do in different situations. Different situations require different things. But there are some things that are constant that you do whenever your life gets interrupted. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. We've been in a series of messages on the miracles of Jesus, called Jesus the Miracle Worker. And and we're going to look at today a a sample from one of these miracles of what to do when your life gets interrupted. Now, we're going to start reading in verse 21. And what you're going to find here is what Mark uses. He uses a literary device that scholars call a Markin Sandwich. Okay, you know what a sandwich is? you got the meat, but you got to have bread on one side and bread on the other side. It holds it all together, and then you eat it all together, right? That's what a, a sandwich is. Well, what Mark does, and he does it, I count, at least six times in the Gospel of Mark, is that he will start a story. In the middle of that story, he'll tell a second story. He'll finish the second story. Then he'll come back to the first story and finish it. Now, the point is that it's going to prompt you as the reader to consider two otherwise unrelated stories in light of each other. Okay. So, for example, in Mark chapter 11, Jesus goes sees a fig tree. It's not bearing fruit, so he curses it. You think that's the end of the story. He then goes into the temple. He turns over the, the tables of the money changers. And then he comes back, and they see that the tree has been cursed. And it, it not only is it not bearing fruit, but now it's withered up. And the whole point is the tree didn't bear fruit. It got cursed. The people at the temple aren't bearing fruit and are therefore cursed. That's a, the two stories interpret one another. So that's what we're going to have here. So it's kind of like, you know, when you get a, a sandwich, the bread of the sandwich is not just there to hold the, br- the meat together. No, you, you got all of the Like if you go down to Penn Station and you get like the chicken and, and then they have the grilled onions and the cheese, all of the juices, it gets in the bread and the flavor, and the zest, and the spice, they all work together, and it le- what happens? When you get a good sandwich and you bite into a good, what, what do you do? You say, thank you, Jesus, right? Because a good sandwich will lead you into worship. Well, that's the same thing that this text is going to do. It's going to lead us into where it's going to lead us to Jesus and give us a model of how to live when your life gets interrupted. Let's look at the text, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. So Jesus went with him. Now stop right there just for a second. First character I want you to meet in this first story is a guy named Jairus. Jairus has some prestige as a synagogue ruler. Okay, he has honor. He has a name. So we're told his name, which shows he has a certain amount of notoriety in this town. They know who he is. People know this guy. They know his name. A woman that we're about to meet that in just a few moments doesn't have a name, and it shows the contrast. She's an outsider. He's an insider. So, Jairus, being a synagogue ruler, probably at first just wants to keep his distance from Jesus because Jesus was always stirring up trouble in the synagogue, right? So, he probably just wants to keep his distance until disaster strikes. His life gets interrupted, his little girl is dying. So, I mean, look, he's just a distraught father who's so torn up about his little girl, he doesn't care about anything else. He pockets his pride. He forgets his fear. I mean, who cares about political correctness when your daughter's dying? Right. Right. So he humbles himself and he runs to Jesus, who synagogue rulers avoid, and he falls down at his feet. Which is a completely undignified sort of gesture in that culture. And by the way, it's the position of a disciple. Okay. He risks everything. He risked his pride, his dignity, his reputation, his job. I mean, what are they going to tell you about him at the synagogue? I mean, what are they gonna say at church on Sunday? <laughs> He's falling. We don't go to the Jesus, dude. What are you doing, man? He doesn't care. He just needs Jesus because his girl is dying and hope is slipping away. Have you ever been there? So Jesus, this is one of the things I love about Jesus. Jesus is like, come on, let's go. He do not say anything, he just starts going. And right then when you think, okay, whew, everything's going to be okay because this is how it works, right? We get in trouble. We go to Jesus. He bells us out. He's the Savior. That's what we do. And that's what we think is going to happen. If you're reading the story and you've been reading the Gospel of Mark, you think, okay, it's probably going to be Jesus is going to work everything out. And then the story gets interrupted. The healing gets put on hold. Hey, have you ever felt like Jesus put you on hold? Do you like being on hold? I, don't, I hate being on hold. I'll tell you, I hate being on hold, especially when you know you call for tech support or do something and you're on the phone and they say, you know, they have a recording, your call is important to us. Yeah. And I'm feeling like, I don't think it is. I don't like to wait. Our culture doesn't like to wait. Moving on in the text. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject To bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Here's the second character I want you to meet it's this woman, it's this lady who has no name, no status, and because of her issue of blood, She is ceremonially unclean, okay? Now, I'm not going to get into all the Old Testament details of of being unclean, especially as a woman related to her menstrual cycle. If you're interested in that, read Leviticus chapter 15. But put it. just know this, that she is perpetually unclean for 12 years, which means she's been unclean for the same amount of time Jairus' daughter has been alive. Because the text is going to tell her she was 12 years old. Um, And that's important in the story later. That is significant. Here's the other thing that's significant. This uncleanness is transmittable to others until the problem is cured. In other words, she is seen as contagious. Now, this is hard for us in our culture to kind of wrap our heads around because we don't really have this. uh, You know, I mean, we do have the COVID thing, you know, and and quarantining and stuff like that. but, But this is beyond this because she is now shut out from the worship of God. She can't go to church. She can't go to synagogue. Just imagine that. You're not not allowed in here. It's not just that. She can't even go out to dinner with friends. What would that be like? How, how How lonely would that be? She's an outcast. And sadly, as is often the case in the church, there are probably some people that think she committed a sin, so it's her fault. So in addition to being lonely and alone and ostracized and outcast, she's carrying the shame that she is unclean. And all of that is compounded by the fact that now she's impoverished because she spent everything she had on doctors and she's not any better, she's worse. Anybody ever felt that way? Have you ever had a problem in your life and you threw money at it and at the end of it you were still as bad off as you were at the beginning? Now, some of the remedies of that era are quite amazing, Um, uh, and uh, I didn't do a whole lot of research on this because it didn't take long for me to go, whoa, that's enough, Um, uh, because some of the treatments back in this era for an issue of blood were real, and others were more like superstition. For example, and I'll quote, one treatment was carrying the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in summer and a cotton rag in winter. I don't know what that does, but that was one of the treatments. Another one, and again, I'm just quoting, nobody get mad at me, I'm just quoting, uh, this was a treatment, carrying a barley corn, which had been found in the dung of a white she-ass. Which doesn't sound very pleasant to me. She's tried everything, that's my point. And when you get to that, that's about everything. And she's not any better. She's worse. She's broke, she's sick, she's an outcast, she is alone. Her life has been interrupted. She has been put on hold for 12 years. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus. See, Jairus, it said when he saw Jesus. For this woman, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. You see, for this woman, it wasn't enough to hear about Jesus. It wasn't even enough to see Jesus. She wanted to touch Jesus. She wanted to encounter Jesus. See, a lot of people they get stuck with, they might hear about Jesus. They might even see something about Jesus. But they won't press in to encounter him for themselves. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, it, to, to really get the impact of this, you need to understand something about the first century. There was a lot of belief in magic in the first century, okay? And there was a widely held belief, and there's a number of ancient documents that reveal this, that there was a widely held belief that if you snuck up behind a magician without the magician knowing it, and you touched their, the hem of their garment, there was like tassels at the bottom of their... If you could get, If you could touch the tassel without them knowing about it, then you would be healed or you would get what you wanted, right? So her faith here might not be perfect faith. She might not really completely at this moment know who Jesus is. So like she can't recite the Apostles' Creed. She's not going, I believe in God the Father, our maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, our only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the virgin Mary. Yeah. She can't do that. Okay. Her faith, Maybe mixed with some superstition here, which is a little disconcerting, but don't worry about it. Jesus is going to take care of that in a moment. But for now, know this. God blesses faith even when it isn't perfect. This is important for me, you guys. Because there are times I know... I have faith, but it's, I'm like the father from we preached about a few weeks ago. I believe. Help my unbelief. I find myself there sometimes. And, and according to this story, Jesus is not waiting for you to have perfect faith. You just need real faith. Okay. Okay. Right. So she presses through the crowd. She's going to touch. She is uncle- She's not supposed to be there. But she presses through. Verse 30. At once. Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Now I want you to see this. I, I saw this this week. For the, I've read this. I've preached this text multiple times in my life. But I saw some i never seen before. I want you to see this the persistence of this woman to press in to touch Jesus is matched only by Jesus' persistence to find her. They're saying, come on, everybody touch you. we got to go. And he's like, I, I, listen, I think sometimes we think it's all on us to find Jesus and Jesus is the one coming after us. I think a lot of times we, we got this idea that we got to be perfect, we got to find God, we got to pursue God when He's pursuing us. It's like, you know, when my kids were young, one of them, and I can't remember which one this was, but one of them, we were playing one day, and he was little, and I was chasing him. I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. And he's running, he's screaming, ah, dad's going to get me. And I'm, like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. And we ran around the house, and he ran up the stairs, and then, he, and then he ran into the closet. So he has nowhere to go. So what happens? He gets in the closet, he turns around, and he jumps on me and goes, I caught you. Yeah. And I'm thinking, who caught who here? But I didn't care because it my son and he was in my arms. You know what happens sometimes? We're running away from God. We're running. We're running away from God and then we run out of places to run. We turn around and say, I caught you. And he was chasing us the whole time. But you know what? I don't think he cares. He's got his son or his daughter in his arms. Because the disciples, they're a little irritated by the question. Who touched me? How can you even ask the question, Jesus? I mean, did you drink too much wine at the wedding in Cana? Of course you see all the people. And by the way, Jesus, we don't have time for this. Don't you remember? Jairus' daughter is dying. Be Jairus for a moment. What would this feel like? I mean, do you, think he's going, do you think he's rocking back and forth? Come on, come on, come on. All right, all right, all right it's her. Yeah, yeah, she touched you. Come on, come on. <laughs> My daughter. Timothy Keller calls this malpractice. Well, just think about it. Well, we got some doctors. Uh, in the house we got some doctors in our church I mean if you know and, and if one of our doctors in our church had two people come into their practice and one of them was in cardiac arrest and the other one had a hangnail and instead of treating the one with cardiac arrest they went to the one with a hangnail and started talking to him and and the other while they did that the other dude died what's going to happen malpractice they getting sued this is what Jesus does. Just so you know, if you're thinking about being a follower of Jesus, let me just tell you the great physician rarely goes by your timetable. Yeah. And those of you who've been following Jesus for a long time, you know this is true. Yeah. We often have to wait. Verse 33 Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Now, why is she afraid? She's afraid because this guy's so powerful that she just touched his clothes and it healed her. I mean, that's scary power. And now he's singling her out and she's afraid. Remember, she's not supposed to be there. And so she falls at his feet. Which, by the way, was the same place Jairus was. Isn't it interesting? The outcast woman with no name, no friends, no status, and a man of influence and prestige who has a name, who has power, have ended up at the same place, at the feet of Jesus. And listen, one of the things, among the other things, that you're supposed to learn from these two stories is that issues of honor and status and accomplishments and success and failures, all that stuff are absolutely meaningless at the feet of Jesus. And you might be here today and you feel like Jairus, right? You're wealthy, you're successful, people know your name. Or you might be here today and you feel like this woman. You feel unclean and unwelcome. Well, guess what? You're both at the right place. You know why? Because this room is filled with people, every single one of us, that when we come into the presence of Jesus, we fall on our face at his feet. There is no, I'm better than you here. None of it. Because every single one of us need Jesus. Every single one of us need mercy. Every single one of us need Jesus' grace. There is not one person in this room who has lived perfectly and doesn't need the same amount of Jesus. And if you think you're that person, we will be having an altar call later and you can get saved. Verse 34. Notice what Jesus says to her. Oh, I love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? He said to her, daughter. When the story started, she, it was woman with the issue of blood. Then it was somebody touch me. Now it's daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Oh, listen, one woman in the gospel of Mark is called daughter. Here she is. The only one in the gospel of Mark. And so what, what, what's going on here? It, it, Jesus wants to show her and everyone listening that she's welcome. She's accepted in his family. See, remember, her problem isn't just a physical problem. It's also a social problem. And Jesus restores all of her. She's not only healed, she's accepted. She, she's not, the blood has not only stopped, she's now clean. She's forgiven. She's washed. In fact, the word translated healed in Greek can also be translated saved. So there's more than just physical healing going on here. Do you see the beauty of this? Jesus stops and he takes time for her because she needs to know that the one who healed her actually cares about her. She's a person, not an outcast. She's a person, not a giving unit. She's a person, not a prop. A person that is loved and is worth taking time for. And, and do you know, maybe you're here and maybe, maybe you feel like the outcast. One of the things Jesus is saying to you is that he's arresting this service to tell to you, he sees you. Now notice too, this is important. Jesus says her faith has healed her. Now another reason that he's stopping to talk to her because it was faith, not superstitious belief in magic. And this is very important. You need to hear me. Faith is not magic. There is a lot of not good teaching about faith in the world, okay? So much so that there are some people who see faith as if I just say the right mantra, or if I just, then I, then, then, then I get to be in control. That, faith is not magic, and Jesus wants to clear that up. In fact... Mark is setting this woman up as a model of a disciple who has faith. Let me just unpack that for a minute. He, he, Jesus took time to unpack it, so I'm going to take time to unpack it. Verse 26 says about this woman that she had suffered much. There's only two people in the gospel of Mark who it says, in the, in the Greek says, suffered much. This woman and Jesus. Mark 8, he said, he he was telling how the Son of Man must go and suffer much. Verse 29, it says this woman has an affliction, and the Greek word is the word scourge, or it can also be translated to flog. She has an affliction of this blood. Only two people in the Gospel of Mark have that word attributed to them, this woman and Jesus. In verse 25, it says she has a flow of blood, an issue of blood. The word can be translated a pouring out of blood. You know where I'm going, don't you? Wait for it. (laughs) Only two people. In the gospel of Mark, I've said to pour out their blood. This woman and Jesus. You see what's happening? By linking this woman to Jesus through this unique vocabulary, Mark is teaching us that she is an example of what a disciple of Jesus is like when their life gets interrupted. And not only for us. She's not just an example for us. Read the story. She's an example for Jairus because right when this woman is experiencing this wonderful affirmation, she gets this spectacular healing. 12 years! She spent everything. She gets healed, and then she gets this beautiful affirmation. Daughter, You're in my family now, daughter, at that moment, as if on cue. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said. You know, sometimes you've got to ignore what they say. You know, has, it, has this ever happened to you? You're, you're dealing with something, and somebody who, I don't know if they're trying to encourage you or kill you, they, they say, well, you know, they say. You know, I, I was dealing with gout for a while, uh, for a long while, actually. And, and some people would, you know, come up and give me home remedies. That's fine. You know, uh, but some people are like, well, you know, they say that once you got gout, you always have it. I don't know who they are, but they're some negative people. Ignoring what they say. Okay. Jesus said to the, told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, again, be be, be Jairus for a second here. You've been waiting for Jesus to come and heal your daughter. You know, he's waiting. He came. He was coming. Everything was going to be turned around. And then you get what I can only imagine is the most dreadful, devastating news a man or a woman could possibly get. Your daughter is dead. Jairus has to be devastated. And Jesus, with the same compassion and care for Jairus as he had for the woman, he turns to Jairus away from the crowd and says, don't be afraid. Just believe. And, and, and at first when I read this, I thought, well, Jesus, come on, man. It's like, it's kind of trite, isn't it? It's kind of like, I mean, you... <laughs> it seems a little bit insensitive. And you know what? If it was coming from anybody else, it would be. All right. But this is Jesus. I mean, just imagine, imagine, you guys, the worst news you can possibly imagine coming to you. And Jesus stops what he's doing. He looks you in the eye and he says, look at me, look at me. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Oh, I see the tenderness of Jesus here. And maybe, maybe there's some parents here, like this parent, Jairus. Maybe there's some other parents here, and, 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 and you're getting impatient for God to do something for your kid. And Jesus is looking at you today and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Believe. See, there's something remarkably empowering about Jesus' words because Jairus says nothing and keeps on walking. You know what I think? Sometimes when life gets interrupted, the only thing there is to do is to believe Jesus and keep on walking. You remember that mo- when my kids were younger, we, we watched this movie, Finding Nemo? You ever watch that? About the, about the, the dad fish as try, going across the ocean to find the sunfish. And, and, there's a, and there's another fish named Dory, and she has short-term memory loss, uh, yes, yes. which is kind of funny. But the one thing, she just keeps like, just keep swimming, swimming, sw- just keeps. swimming. Remember that? Sometimes when life gets interrupted, the only thing there is to do is believe Jesus and keep swimming. You just keep on going. Because if you stop, you won't get there. I know that's not terribly profound. But if you think about it, it actually is. Verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. They ridicule Jesus here. They laugh at him. And I'm just going to say it. They're going to ridicule you too. You're not better than Jesus. If they laughed at Jesus, they're going to laugh at you. If they thought Jesus was crazy, they're going to think you crazy. Okay. Now, notice how Jesus views death here. He says, she's asleep. This is a common thing for, we know that Jesus did, because in John chapter 11, uh, and, and Kevin Wu preached on this a few weeks back, in John chapter 11, uh, Lazarus dies, and Jesus says to the disciples, hey, we need to go over there because Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they're like, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. And Jesus like, he's dead, okay? He had to to spell it out. But for Jesus, death is no more scary than sleep. Do do you know that as believers in Jesus, we don't have to fear death? Is this going to be like going to sleep? After he put them all out, now, this, I know this is going to bother some of you, but Jesus was not always completely inclusive. He said, out. Because, listen, the ones who laugh and ridicule Jesus don't get to see the miracle. They're laughing at him, he says. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said, Talitha kum, which is Aramaic, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Can you hear the tenderness of Jesus in this? He takes her hand and says, little girl. And, and, and Mark preserves the original Aramaic. I think it was because, see, Peter was the one who gave Mark his information about the gospel. And so I think Peter, being there, heard this Aramaic talitha. See, because, you know, the gospel of Mark is written in Greek, but Jesus spoke Aramaic. So he preserves the Aramaic because I think that rang in Peter's ears for the rest of his life. And, and, and Tim Keller is really good at this because uh, he says it doesn't just mean, you know, because the NIV translates it, I say to you, little girl, get up. And we don't usually talk that way. I say unto you. We don't, you know, we don't, like, most mornings I will get up earlier than Marlene. And so I, when it's time to wake her up, I wake her up. And, and I don't go to and say, my wife, I say unto you, get up. <laughs> I don't do that. Because I wake up pretty quick. She doesn't. Because there's two kinds of people in the world, those who like to get up in the morning and those who hate the people who like to get up in the morning. So I like to get up in the morning, Marlene, not so much. So what I do is I make a cup of coffee, I got to eat how she likes it, and I gently go over and put my hand on her and say, honey, it's time to get up. Oh, isn't that sweet? I know, I know. I hope she's watching this right now. Um, 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 When Jesus comes to this little girl, here's what Talitha means. Honey, it's time to get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders, not to, well, I guess so. She was dead, now she's alive. So I would be astonished too. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And then he told them, give her something to eat. Give that girl something. Don't you love Jesus? Not only does he, he was like, give the girl something to eat. Now, very quickly, let me just sum up with three things that I want you to take home with this, okay, that I want you to hear, because I know there are people here who your life has been interrupted recently. And maybe right now you're living an interruption. Three things you need to get out of these two stories. Number one... Run to Jesus, not away from him. When your life gets interrupted, run to him. Listen, if anything is clear in these stories at all, it's this. Jesus is the healer. And if you get into a situation which seems hopeless and you run away from him, you're running away from the only one who can help you. See, for many of us, there, when, when, there's something in our flesh that, that when we get into a seemingly hopeless situation, when everything is interrupted, all of our plans are put on hold, a lot of times we run to the wrong arms. Like some addiction to self-medicate or, or to deaden the pain, drugs or alcohol or food or entertainment or let's go shopping or whatever. And because it makes us feel better and the whole time Jesus is just waiting for us to bring it to him. He's the only real healer and whatever else you're looking to it's not going to heal you right. it might deaden the pain for a little while but in the course of deadening the pain it will addict you and you will need more so just be like Jairus fall at his feet yes. be like this woman fall at his feet when your life gets interrupted number 1 run to Jesus not away from him number 2 don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The first thing Jesus says to Jairus after he gets the most devastating news of his life is this. Don't be afraid. That's step one. The first thing you do when your life gets interrupted is refuse to fear. Because sometimes, you know, when you first get the news about something, sometimes it's not as bad as you think it is. And fear will just rob you in that moment and make it everything worse than it really is. Now, sometimes it is as bad as you think it is. And even then, Jesus says... Don't be afraid. See, because Jairus' daughter was dead. That's pretty bad. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. See, Because the, the enemy of our soul, you know what he does? He, he's all about shock and awe. He wants you to be afraid. And if you refuse to be afraid, you win round one. All right. See, what happens is sometimes life will punch you in the mouth. And if you get punched in the mouth, You've got a choice right then. Are you going to be afraid or not? And if you say, I'm not going to be afraid, you win. Round one. A few years back, our youngest son, Aiden, he was, in, he was boxing, and, he, and he, he had won the Golden Gloves for Indiana. And uh, he had won a number of fights in a row, hadn't lost a fight. And then I was on a Friday night, and we went down to spar. Uh, and I can't even remember the name of the gym downtown but we went down to this gym and he had only had three or four or five fights, whatever it was, official, you know, sp- you know amateur fights, but official uh, sponsored fights. And uh, so uh, we went down and, they had, and he had this fight with a guy who had like 30 or 40 fights and they were just sparring, uh, but you know, their coaches were there and uh, the first round, uh, Aiden gets in the ring and he got beat up, <laughs> bad. You remember that? Of course you do. Um, <laughs> And then, and you know, as a dad, that's hard to watch. And there was blood on his shirt. There was blood on his shirt. And I mean, it was like, this wasn't no game. And so round one is over. I'm thinking, is he going to come back for round two? Because I ain't coming back for round two if I'm him. He came back for round two. He did a little bit better. He still lost round two, but he did better. I'm thinking, is he coming back for round three? He came back for round three. And in round three, he fought the guy even, might have even won the round. And after it was over, I saw the coach, and I'm like, coach, what do you think about that? He said, I'm excited. I'm like, really? <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, a lot of people got technique, and they think they know what they're doing, but as soon as they get punched in the mouth, they're done. He's yeah. like, Mike Tyson said, everybody got a plan till he get hit. Right. <laughs> uh, and he says, I got a lot of people, they got technique and stuff. Um, um, but when they get punched in the mouth, they're ready to quit. He said, your son doesn't even start fighting until he gets punched (laughs) in the mouth. Listen, listen, when life punches you in the mouth, and it will, when life punches you in the mouth, you have a choice. Here's what you do. You get punched in the mouth. (laughs) You go, all right. Come on. Come on. Come on. on. And you come back for round two. And you come back for round three. Yes. And you don't get up. You don't be afraid. Why? Because when you're with Jesus, there is no eternal risk anymore. Do you realize that? Eternal risk is over for me. Whatever happens on this side of eternity is, can be anything. But I know what's going on the other side. And that's forever. Yes. Yes. See, for the believer in Jesus, this life is the only hell we will ever know. So what do I have to fear? What do I have to fear? Jonathan Edwards, you know, one of the greatest minds in the history of uh, America. Actually, he at 18 years old he preached a sermon on Romans 8:28. You know, Romans 8:28 it says, "We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose." Now remember that promise is for those who love Him and have been called. That that's, that promise is not for everybody. But he says in, in his outline, this is 18-year-old, uh, you know, in the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards, his outline was, if, if you are a Christian, your bad things work for your good, your good things can never be taken from you, and the best is yet to come. Oh, so what do you have to be afraid of? Even if it's bad. And some things are bad. But God is good. And he's working for your good. Third thing and finally, and then I'll be done. When life gets interrupted, third thing you do is remember this. Nothing can stop Jesus. And I'm not being trite. I'm not being glib when I say that. Not even death can stop Jesus. This little girl was dead. It didn't stop Jesus. In, 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 in one of the greatest films in cinematic history, The Princess Bride. There's a line, for those of you who've seen this, you know there's Princess Buttercup. And she's been kidnapped by Vincini and Fezzik and, and Inigo Montoya. Uh, but then she gets kidnapped from the kidnappers by the Dread Pirate Roberts. Only it wasn't really the Dread Pirate Roberts. It was actually the love of her life, Wesley. But she doesn't know that. So she pushes him down a big hill. And as he goes down the hill, he says, as you wish. And she realizes it's Wesley. So she throws herself down the hill. They get to the bottom and he says, are you okay? Can you walk? And she says, you're alive. If you want, I can fly. And then he says, why didn't you wait for me? And she says, you were dead. Because she thought he was dead. She thought the dreadfire Roberts had killed him. And she said, you were dead. And he says, and here's the line, death cannot stop true love. It can only delay it for a while. You know, and that's a line, right? It's a great line, but it's a line. But for Jesus, it's more than a great line. Death can't stop Jesus. See, later in the story, they're going to take Jesus and they're going to flog him. And they're going to strip him naked and they're going to nail him to a tree and they're going to crucify him. And then they're going to take him off the cross and they're going to put him in a tomb because he was dead. And then three days later, the stone was rolled rolled away. Why? because not even death can stop Jesus. And some of you may be facing the threat of death or the aftermath of death, and you need to know that not even that enemy, the greatest enemy of all, that gets all of us. You know this, right? Jimmy Morrison said, nobody gets out of here alive. And he was right. The mortality rate, last time I checked, is right around 100%. We are all going to die one day, but here's a greater truth. Not even death can hold us who are with Jesus. Oh, no, the grave can't hold us. It couldn't stop Jesus, and it's not going to stop us who are with him. There is coming a day when Jesus is going to take every hand of the believer in him and say, Honey, it's time to get up. Every one of them. Because we serve the God who brings dead things to life. We serve a God who has conquered the grave. We serve a God who said, Revelation 1.18, I am the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So whatever's going on in your life, whatever's interrupted your life today, here's what you do: you run to Jesus. Don't be afraid. Run to Jesus. You fall at his feet. And you might hear him say, daughter, don't be afraid. Son, believe. Don't be afraid. You might hear him say that. And you might hear him say, Talitha, Ku. It's time to get up.